we both wanted to be professional dancers. We That's all we wanted to live off of. Now, we ha- didn't have any expectations. Like, we didn't know that we were going to blow up and be super popular. We just wanted to be like, okay, let's travel to some of these events. At that point, there were still not as many events as there are now today. Um, we just want to be able to travel, see the world, make money, and live off of it. That's really it. We did not expect where we are now. <laughs> if we wanted to do this for a long time, we had to take a whole different approach. And we can't do the standard travel on the weekends, teach on the week, and that's it. Like We have to create a business. a business component from it and still maintain that love for dance and not allow the business um, entity to consume ours. And that's always been, I think, the beauty within this company is that we've been able to be a very, very strong entity of business without being actual just business dancers. We're like, you know, we're dancers that love the music. We go out there, we stay humble, we dance with the people, we're partiers, everything, but we want to secure our future for our families, our kids, and et cetera, et cetera. What if you wanted to travel the world, dance, and party? Sounds like a good life, right? But what if you could do that and make more money than you ever imagined that you would? This is the reality for today's guests, Jorge and Tanya. This is Love Your Work, and I'm David Cadavy. With this show, I help you find the clues that will lead you to your calling. Jorge and Tanya wanted to make it as a professional salsa dancing couple. They aspired to travel the salsa circuit, to perform in competitions, and they figured they could make ends meet teaching classes in their home city. But the salsa world was crowded. To make their debut as a dancing couple, they found it wasn't so easy to get a slot as salsa performers. So they put together a performance dancing bachata. Bachata is a Dominican style of music first recorded in the 1960s. You're hearing Medicina de Amor by Raulín Rodríguez. And in recent years, Bachata has been remixed with current pop hits. You're hearing DJ Soul Tricks' remix of Latch by Disclosure featuring the vocals of Sam Smith. Bachata is kind of Salsa's little cousin. It wasn't as popular as Salsa, so Jorge and Tanya were able to make an appearance. The performance, Dance to Extremes Takes Traño, ended up on YouTube. And it exploded. Their debut performance has amassed nearly 100 million views, and it's launched Jorge and Tanya and Bachata Dancing into superstardom. Today, nine years later, Jorge and Tanya are known as Ataca y la Alemana. They're bachata royalty. They travel the world, run conferences, and their dance company, Island Touch, has dance teams all over the world. And everyone who does a social dance like bachata has what I like to call their oh shit moment. That's the moment when you first see a couple dancing and you realize that you want to, that you have to, that you must learn to do that. It's when you take a deep breath and you say to yourself, oh shit, because you realize it's going to be a long road. We're going to hear about Jorge and Tanya's oh shit moments, but mine was back in 2009. Some friends brought me to a dance festival in Chicago, and that was the first time I saw someone who really knew how to dance salsa. And I felt this burning in my chest. I felt this urgency in my limbs and I could, I could feel the moves that I was seeing. I could feel them in my arms and in my legs, but I just felt trapped in my own body because I couldn't move like that. I couldn't do those moves myself. And that was my oh shit moment. I knew that it was going to be many, many years of classes and getting turned down for dances and even getting abandoned on the dance floor before I'd even be a decent dancer. Now, seven years later, I'm still working on that. But whenever it has gotten tough, it's been the videos of Jorge and Tanya that have inspired me to keep going. While they'll say that there's nothing new about their dancing, the way their choreography expresses the music is unmatched. I recently went to one of Island Touch's conferences in Miami, and I took a workshop with Jorge and Tanya. 
I wasn't surprised to see that there was a depth, not only to how they think about their own craft, but also to how they teach. You're going to learn today how Jorge and Tanya rode the rising tide of a relatively obscure dance style and how they use their business sense to take full advantage of their good fortune to build a dance company that will last. We're also going to dig deep into their creative process. It's useful for anybody in any creative endeavor, and we're going to find out how they teach as if their students were blind. As you'll see in this conversation, Jorge and Tanya think like professionals to make their passion their business. And our sponsor, FreshBooks, helps you think like a professional. It's cloud accounting software that helps you make beautiful and professional-looking invoices. It's rebuilt completely from the ground up to help you keep track of outstanding invoices, track time and expenses, and much, much more. It will keep you operating as a professional so you can focus on your craft. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash loveyourwork and enter love your work in the how did you hear about us section. I'm thrilled to bring to you my bachata heroes, Ataka y la Alemana. How do you describe what you do in the bachata world to somebody when you meet somebody who has no idea what bachata is? Um, basically, I mean, what we do, we're, we're professional instructors who travel to different events, um, kind of like, uh, I guess you could say conventions. If For those people, that's what I've said to people who have absolutely no idea what a Congress is. Think of it like a big convention where everybody meets. Um, during the day, you have dance classes from many different instructors from all over the globe. And then at nighttime, there are showcases or shows um, and parties. So basically what we do, we travel to these types of events every weekend um, around the globe and we teach during the day a couple of workshops throughout the weekend. Um, The event normally lasts from Friday to Sunday and um, we teach during those times. And then at night, we normally just do one show during the weekend and then we party every night. So every Friday, every Saturday, every Sunday, we party and we dance with the people, with the public. And we just have a really good time from like 9 p.m. until 4 Six, seven o'clock in the morning. Sometimes earlier. Sometimes <laughs> earlier. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was just at one of your congresses in Miami recently and then had the privilege of taking a, a workshop with you guys as well, which was a ton of fun. Now, it's, it's so interesting to hear you talk about it that way because I think especially for anybody who is listening who does know Bachata, they definitely know who you two are because you are like the Bachata royalty. Um, <laughs> and I think it all started with with this YouTube video that you had come out. Was it 2010 or 2011? Um, 2008. 2008? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, almost 10 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm way behind. All right, it was <laughs> big, big um, it, it has like almost 100 million views right now. Right. And then I think if you count up all the times that it's been like copied and then put on a different account or something, it's yeah. definitely <laughs> over 100 billion views. So definitely 100 million times people have have uh, watched you dance just with that routine. Um, do you remember the moment that you realized that that dance routine was blowing up, that video of that dance routine was blowing up? Yeah, we actually, um, <clears throat> so when we first when we first got together, we wanted to be a salsa couple. Um, that was what we started with. So when we, when we met and we kind of, um, kind of, uh, uh, you know, decided that we wanted to try this whole salsa thing. We tried coming up with a salsa routine. It didn't really work out for us. Um, so we needed we needed a routine to kind of get into the 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 system of these events so that people could kind of see who we were. So what we did is we ended up um, kind of contracting out that salsa routine to uh, to one of our friends um, to kind of help us choreograph a routine or basically choreograph it for us. In the meantime, me and Tanya did the bachata routine as the actual choreography. Cause you know, we were like, we dance bachata socially really well. And we were like, let's put a bachata routine together. Um, and we were like, okay, that'll be our routine. But in that same event, we're going to ask the promoter to allow us to do a salsa social dance. So that was kind of our way of like showcasing our salsa through, you know, uh, and, and the bachata. So what we did is we came up with a, a salsa social dance with like a little little section kind of choreographed in the middle. And we put really all of our efforts into that social yeah. dance more than the bachata. So we kind of, we put... Essentially, we, we really wanted to be a salsa couple. Um, at that point, we really didn't think that bachata was 
anything to be performed or, I mean, people just did it locally in clubs and we, we've never, there was never a Congress with bachata in it. Um, there were like a few bachata classes, but there, it wasn't a big deal. Bachata wasn't a big deal. So when we did the routine, it was just to showcase that we were a dance couple. That was really the only reason why we did it. We weren't like, Hey, let's become a bachata um, professional couple. We wanted to do salsa. We just did bachata just to show that we were actually together as partners. Yeah. We, so our focus, as you can see, was on the salsa. So we literally got together. We 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 chose a bachata song. We did something really fun, really sexy, and stuff. And then we put all of our efforts on the the salsa, trying to you know come up with different patterns that we did really really well. So then when we went entered this event, um, we had both routines videotaped, and we were going to put both routine uh, routines on this account. And it was it was uh, Tanya's best friend at the time, where she kind of um, recorded them, put them on the account. And after the video or after that night, we kept watching the salsa video. We kept watching the salsa video as far as how it was growing with views and stuff. And we disregarded the bachata video. And I think probably like two weeks later, we start realizing that, man, this this video is getting way more views than the salsa. And it was I guess it wasn't so much disappointing. It was like I guess it was weird. It was it was it was like way it was surprising. It was surprising. We, we really didn't understand what was happening. We were like, why is this video, this bachata video, getting any kind of views at this point. And then it just kind of went viral. And then we're like, okay, well, I guess we're a bachata couple now, so we got to do this. I mean, it was it was a tough conversation to have with each <laughs> other because after that video started kind of getting its views and, and, and started getting a lot of shares and stuff, we had a, we got actually um, our first um, uh, our first booking for Miami was... Um, yeah, uh, that was through, through friends of mine. Um and they, they booked us for, I think, their anniversary party. And they were like, hey, um, can you guys teach bachata? All right, I guess we can do that. So we started teaching bachata. And um, we taught at that event. And it's surprisingly, at that event, some of the students that were there, they were like, oh, my God, that video you guys did, I love it. And we were just like, what the hell is happening right now? So And that's that's really when it started. Is that first gig, and we're like, well, this bachata thing seems to be going well. So let's continue doing that. But we still were teaching locally salsa. Again, our salsa, our, our classes were mostly focused on salsa, and, um, and then we taught like one bachata class, and then it just kept growing and the demand, and then we started traveling. So that's it just kind of turned into bachata. So, like, how many views did that YouTube video have before you were kind of like, huh, something's going on here? I think, um, <clears throat> I mean, the the salsa video had anywhere between like 500 views or something like that, but really. We, we were looking at the, the salsa video, but really the only reason why the salsa video was getting as many views as it was is because it was the bachata video was bringing it traffic. So people would see the bachata video and see like, what's this video? Nah, mm-hmm. I like this one better. So um, we just started seeing it was probably anywhere from like a thousand to two thousand views or whatever. I think it's once because it's so long ago, I really don't remember detail for detail. But when the, the views were coming in and then the next day there would be like double the views. So we were like, okay, this this is when we saw once it started going viral, that's when we're like, okay, this now we can start paying attention to it. It's just the fact of one day it's like you have a thousand views and then the next day all of a sudden it's twenty five hundred views. That that's what really what was happening. Sure. And then it just kept going. Like we we kept monitoring it and from one week to another week it would double again and then it would double again and then within a couple months it already had, you know, twenty five twenty five thousand views or something. So it was just crazy for us. So when you got that gig to go teach bachata and the students were coming up to you saying, oh, I I love the video that you have on YouTube. Was that kind of the moment where you were where a light bulb went on and you you said, oh, this is this this might be what we're doing. Or was there another time? It was definitely the initiation. It was the initiation to that conversation. Um, I think that what really kind of kind of put everything into perspective for us was when we sat down after that event and we said, Okay, so it seems like we're getting a lot of bookings and a lot of interest for us to do bachata. So we need to decide. This is really important. Are we going to continue with this bachata thing, or are we going to hold tight, you know, to our to our to our reins and go with what we what we initiated with, which is salsa? And the bottom line is, we just sat down and we said, "What are our goals? What do we want to do?" And really, everything we want to do as dancers was achievable through bachata. We wanted to travel. We wanted to be dancers. We want to train with some of the best dancers in the world. We want to collaborate with some of the best um, people in the world. We want to see some of our dance idols. And once we realized that we could accomplish that through bachata, that's where we said, you know what? 
that's it. Let's go into bachata. And then we short, shortly thereafter, we started working on our next bachata routine. We started coming up with bachata teams and mm-hmm. just kind of went from there. And is, is that kind of the path that you had envisioned when you initiate, when you initially started with salsa, was that what you expected to happen? Or were, that, were those your goals in salsa to like travel and, and yeah. make conferences and have teams and yeah, basically, I mean, the goal was for both of us when we first met, we, you know, we spent hours talking on the phone asking, okay, what do you want to do? And we both wanted to be professional dancers. We That's all we wanted to live off of. Now, we ha- didn't have any expectations. Like, we didn't know that we were going to blow up and be super popular. We just wanted to be like, okay, let's travel to some of these events. At that point, there were still not as many events as there are now today. Um, we just want to be able to travel, see the world make money and live off of it. That's really it. We did not expect where we are now. <laughs> I mean, it's great, but that's not, that's not the reason why we got into it. We just really got into it. We love dance. It's our passion. And that passion we wanted to live off of. So at that time you were already both dedicated to having a career in dance or were there other things, other potential paths in your, in your life, uh, at that point? <laughs> For me, at that point, once him and I got together, that was all I wanted to do. I started dancing salsa um, in 2005, and I ended up having a studio for about two years with my previous partner. So at that point already, I was like, this is dancing is all I'm doing. I grew up dancing. My mother was a professional dancer. I kind of lost my way in the middle during, you know, middle school and high school and wanted to be a lawyer and a psychologist. But then once I found dance again, I told myself, this is it. This is all I'm doing. I'm going to have to figure it out. Um, and then luckily when I met him, that's what he wanted to do as well. Yeah. I mean, for me, um, dance didn't really become a part of my life till I was in college. Um, you know, I, I, I basically, I wanted to be a baseball player all my life. I went to college on a baseball scholarship. Um, I got my business degree. Um, while I was in college, I actually owned a, a, a barber shop. So I, I knew I wanted to like be a, I just wanted to be a part of business. I want to own my own business. Um, and then it wasn't until probably about my, my end of my sophomore, um, beginning of my junior year. Um, I was in Tampa, Pasco County, just right outside, right out, right outside of Tampa. Um, I went to a nightclub. I saw these people dancing and dance and music has been always a big part of my life through my mother's side, because my mom is one of 12 kids and all of them are somewhat, you know, somewhat connected to music, whether they play instruments, they sing or they dance kind of like, you know, street style. Um, so it was always a part of my life. I just didn't ever expect that it was going to be, you know, something I could do as a career. So I started doing the, the dance class. Um, I met these people, started taking some dance classes. And then shortly thereafter I graduated and I had a you know big decision. I was one, I could either potentially try, um, you know, continue with this whole baseball thing. Um, or I could move forward and try this whole dance thing locally from a local scale. And that's why at that point I was teaching. And then I was also working for a mortgage company. So I was like, all right, I'm working for a mortgage company. I'm doing dance. The, the market crashed. And I just, you know, I had an opportunity with my with my best friend, Tigre uh, de Mambo, Rudy Lopez, who was also our, our business partner. He was my vice president for that company. He said, hey, you're becoming a great dancer. Why don't we start a, a dance company? And that was really my, my first kind of kind of taste to, oh, wow, I'm, I'm actually going to own a dance company. I'm, I'm going to do this for a little bit. And then shortly thereafter, I met Tanya and we became partners and we brought her into the company to be a partner. And not, at that point, it was established like we're going in, you know, 100 percent in that we're all going to try you know, to accomplish this whole dance career. So, Jorge, you were talking about that you went to a, a dance club. Was there something that happened there? Like, did you have sort of an aha moment of, of like, oh, oh <laughs> shit, I'm in love with dancing like, <laughs> uh, it's actually a funny story. So, um, in my baseball team, there was really only two Puerto Ricans in the team. So it was me and my roommate. So we we're the only two Latinos. Um, so we were always kind of yearning to get away from kind of like the Pasco County area. So we went to a club called Hyde Park and it was their Latin night. And honestly, it was, we saw two girls dancing together. We saw one girl leading another girl. And as two men, we were like, this is a perfect scenario for us. <laughs> So we started talking to both those girls and it just happened. The girl that I was talking to was actually an o- the, um, the owner of a dance company in Tampa. Um, and the girl she was dancing with was just one of the students, one of the local dancers. So that was what initiated us into the conversation about this dance school, dance style. Um, I will say that I was always anti 
that style because I always thought it was choreographed. I was like, they're not dancing. It's choreography. I was, but I, you know, I realized at that point, wow, this is all social dancing. I got really interested. And as a person who's always loved music and dance, I was like, you know what? Let's try it. Why not? I'm going to go and take some classes. And once I took my first couple classes is where I was like, oh, wow, this is a whole nother world. I totally had a negative perception of, of, these these schools and dance classes and social dancing really is lead and follow and there's so much to learn and i just i just basically embraced myself um into that new world and just completely just consume myself into it and and tanya you mentioned that you had moments where you you like did you you went to law school or you considered other professions and stuff what was what was the internal like conversation like in your head of considering these other things and eventually gravitating towards dance? Well, what happened was I, I grew up, I was born in Germany and I grew up there until I was about eight. Um, and at that point, my mother, when I was little and even before I was born, she was a professional dancer. Once I came along, she stopped dancing for obvious reasons. And then um, she put me into dance classes. So from about the age of three till probably six or seven, I was dancing tap, jazz, ballet, all that stuff, ballroom. Um, and then we moved, she got married and to a military man, and he was stationed back into the United States. So that's how I came into the U.S. So it was a brand new culture for me, new family, everything, and it just kind of changed the dynamics a little bit, and um, I I was no longer in dance classes and things like that. So once I moved up from eight, nine, until I graduated, I wasn't in dance classes. I did, like, talent shows with my friends. Uh, My best friend is Puerto Rican, so I grew up around the Latin music, I didn't know what was what. I just really enjoyed it. And I was just social dancing and there was always a love there. But at that point, I wasn't thinking, oh, yeah, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. It's just something that's part of me. And, you know, it's music. And I whenever I heard music, I would always move. Not until after I graduated and I was working at a nightclub as a go-go dancer, which I don't remember how I got that gig. But I was doing the go-go dancing and I happened to do one Latin night. I normally did um, hip hop night. So I did one Latin night. I had no idea what I was doing, but I saw a couple dancing and I said, oh, my God, this is amazing. I need to learn this. And that's when I pulled the guy aside and I told him, I'm like, look, I love to dance. I love what you and your partner did. They did all these kind of crazy tricks and he's throwing her everywhere. And I was like, I want to learn all of that. So he he was like, "Okay, cool. I mean, obviously he had other motives as well, (laughs) but um, I was able to go to his house and they all taught me and everything. And that's kind of how I got into it. But um, like during the school time, I never thought I would actually do dance as a profession. It was just like, okay, I love to dance, but I never thought about it at that moment as a profession. And did you, did both of you have moments when you, when you thought like, wait, can I make a, a living off dancing? You know, like, was there any, any doubts there? I think for me, at least in this industry, in the, in the Latin street style, industry that's now turned into something bigger at that moment I didn't think there was going to be a lot of money from it I was thinking okay you're still going to have to have a day job or you're going to have to own a studio and then you can do the traveling there was no not no thinking of I can only travel and make plenty of money to live off of Um, I figured I would have to have another job or own that studio Uh, not unless you did ballroom and you won competitions and things like that 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 was my thought it's the same for me as well We're pleasantly surprised that it's not that way. (laughs) (laughs) And so you you have the takes Thranio video. It totally blows up. And we had a a guest earlier who was uh, one of the founders of of a a game company called Cards Against Humanity that you might have played before. And they they made made a free game. They put it online as just a PDF people could download and stuff. And it just went berserk. And, you know, he, he was talking about how his grandpa told him, oh, you know, Everybody gets lucky every once in a while, a few times in their life. But you got to be smart when you're lucky. Now, yes. it sounds like having heard some of your other conversations that that you feel very fortunate that this this video blew up like it did. But it, it very well sounds like it could have gone some other if it could have happened to some other person who might have been like, oh, this video went big. And then, you know, and then they didn't take advantage of the situation to the full extent that you guys have. You, you've built a, a really great dance company with with uh great conferences and teams around the world and everything like you you were smart when you were lucky sorry to use the word lucky because it, it's but obviously it's way more than that it is true we were lucky the good thing is is that we have a great team um including our business partner rudy who's 
he's, he's an entrepreneur and his mind is constantly going and he, he saw the potential in, uh, in George. He saw the p- potential in myself um, and us as partners. Um, George went to school for business. I had my own business before I met them. But I think the team together, we were able to push each other. And Rudy definitely helped capitalize on what was happening. He saw what was happening. And he said, all right, guys, we got we to gotta capitalize on this. You guys have to continue working hard. You guys have to improve your teaching skills. And that was the other thing. Because he, he did say, he's like, look, we're, we hit the lottery with this. But if we don't capitalize on it, that's it. So we made sure that all of our classes were extremely fun, very educational. We made sure that our shows were still entertaining constantly. We didn't want to be a one-hit wonder type of situation. Um, and that's one of the things that we did started receiving feedback on on a lot of events that we started going to in the beginning, that our classes are very good, we're very entertaining, um, we're very outgoing. Um, we kept our personalities. We didn't change. We didn't become some diva uh, artist. We still... Uh, stayed down to earth. So it's, it's a lot of things that are involved, but we definitely, um, Rudy definitely saw the potential and started capitalizing on it. Yeah. That. We just, we just learned a lot from, from, you know, our, our, you know, the people that we admired so much in the dance world. And we kind of just asked ourselves like, all right, what are they doing? And, you know, I started noticing that these people literally have to travel every single weekend, you know, just to, to, to pay the bills. And then on top of that, they would travel every weekend and then they would go and teach during the week as well. So it seemed as if it was, something that was extremely intense and, you know, bottom line is like your body can't, it's not going to last that long. So we knew from a very early um, time in, in, in our, in our career, as far as our company is concerned, that if we wanted to do this for a long time, we had to take a whole different approach and we can't do the standard travel on the weekends, teach in the week. And that's it. Like we have to create a business, a business component from it and still maintain that love for dance and not allow the business um, entity to consume ours. And that's always been, I think, the beauty within this company is that we've been able to be a very, very strong entity of business without being actual just business dancers. We're like, you know, we're dancers that love the music. We go out there, we stay humble, we dance with the people, we're partiers, everything. But we want to secure our future for our families, our kids, and et cetera, et cetera. So um, luckily for us, we've just had an amazing, strong unit, the three of us together, and We've been, we've been very successful and we just have so much more to do in the next many, many, many years of this company. So how does that make you think about it, about what to do differently when you're thinking long term that way? How do, what do you do thinking that way that you probably do differently than you would have otherwise? I mean, we just I think what we've um, we're just very happy to on this. We're, we're happy to have created, a, a, um, a, I guess, in our sense, a new format into how we how people can now approach the dance world. Um, you know, from when we started, we didn't really see this true, like a, a business component. Some people were trying it. Some people didn't. Um, you know, we're just happy that we were able to implement something that now other people are striving to accomplish because the bottom line is you really can live a very fulfilling life as a dancer um, as long as you put your apples in place, you know what I'm saying? And, and luckily we did that. We created a system. Um, some people actually out there have implemented a lot of our similar, um, um, I guess you could say compo- systems, yeah. systems and components into their own companies and through their own, into their own dancing. And they're able to, you know, kind of add that extra sense of success on their end. Um, so we're just, it's really, we're really proud. We're really proud that we're, maintaining the love for this this music and dance and still building um as as strong of a business empire as we can so that we can really do this for the rest of our lives and i think there's a there's a component here of technology playing a role that's possibly allowing you to create a model that wouldn't have been quite so easy before right so you know i can find out and do research and 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 find a a Congress and travel to it and technology makes that all easier. Have you found things that where you're operating in ways where you're like, Oh, you know, this wouldn't have been possible for people who came before because this technology wasn't there. Yeah. I mean, uh, the social media aspect obviously helps a lot, you know, with YouTube that skyrocket or that like really pushed our career in the beginning. And now we have, you know, the Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff where people can constantly stay in touch and you are constantly in touch with your fans before, you know, 10 years ago, there was MySpace, but there wasn't that, that was about it. Um, and now we also have the capabilities to teach online. So we have an online 
portal where people can now learn if you're not living where we are to take classes personally, now you can log on and you can take a class from us. Let me plug that really quick. That's danceegg.com, right? Yes, yeah, okay. that's correct. Danceegg.com. Hatch into a new dancer. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that, that's one of the big technology things that um, weren't there 10, you know, yeah, 10 years ago. I don't think anybody was doing that, really. There I mean, was DVDs for sale, but there wasn't online actual classes. Yeah, I think what we really, when we first started, the biggest, um, the biggest uh, kind of approach that a lot of the dancers were doing were just DVDs. Um that, and, and, a lot, and, a, and a lot of people were doing really, really well selling a lot of, of DVDs. The problem was that once these YouTube videos, Princess Testrano, people started realizing that there was, they were able to get access to amazing dancers around the world through YouTube, it actually took away from the DVDs. Now, granted, you can't, you know, people really can't learn proper technique through, um, through YouTube, but they were. They were trying to. And that's what was consuming a lot of people's attention, which was then people were realizing oh, wow, there is a component of, of attention that I could gain from throwing things on a free platform that's YouTube and help you know promote myself, get visibility, et cetera, et cetera, which is why a lot of people started pushing more, putting their classes online, putting dance videos online. And that's when we started, that was already happening for salsa. It just wasn't happening so much for bachata because no one really thought that people would be literally Googling bachata dance. They thought they would be Googling only solo dance. So they underestimated the power of bachata. And then, you know, there were, you know our video alongside other, vid- other um, you know, popular bachata videos, that's when the, 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 the streamlining for popularity for bachata videos just started increasing. So it unfortunately affected DVDs, but that's when you have to get creative and online classes, um, you know, live stream classes, uh, merchandise, different things. Yeah, that ties perfectly into another question I wanted to ask, which is, I guess, about kind of the intellectual property of of dance. Like I have taken, I'm not going to name names, but I've taken classes at certain places where they won't even let you make a video for your own personal use of the moves that they're of that they're that they're teaching, and to me, I'm thinking as somebody who uses technology and my career is built off of having a a platform online. To me, it's like, oh, you're you're really missing out on just because some local some local uh, hack is it might steal your your sequence and teach a couple people the the class. Like you're missing out on so much potential marketing. It's the way that I see it. How do you think about people sharing your dance online? It's it's, it's crazy. In the beginning, I mean, um, in general, I, I, we've never had a problem as far as material being taught and being caught on camera and then being copied. Because in the end of the day, what we're doing now, nothing's really new. It's just recycled and then just packaged in a different way. But um, as far as like our, our, for example, Extraño, when that was online and was it was quite some time, maybe about a year or two later, I, I want to say maybe a year, a year later, then we started seeing people trying to copy the choreography and putting that on YouTube. And at first we were like, what the hell is happening? Like, this is our choreography. We created this. How dare they try to copy and we, we had a long conversation, including with Rudy, and he said, guys, you know, this happens. We put it online. It's out for the open. Take it as um, flattery. Imitation is the best form of flattery type of situation. And we're like, you know what? You're right. We put it out there. It's, it's up for people. It's up for grabs, whatever. Um, it's not like somebody, a promoter is going to hire that person over us who are the original creators. So it, we did have an issue in the beginning. I think also, too, there was... There was it's a it's a battle between old school mind and a new school mind, right? When we first started, we me especially me and Tanya because we were a part of the dance circuit. Rudy was more the entrepreneur, or taking some local classes, so he wasn't really exposed to the the Congress scene like that. But Tanya and I were, and one thing that was pretty universal that we kind of heard a lot from different instructors that we took classes from uh, classes from was guys. Um, please don't post this on YouTube. Don't post this anywhere. Keep this for yourself. Blah blah. And it was pretty unanimous. We heard that almost at all different congresses. So we were that, that phrase and that, that concept was just implanted in us. So we were naturally are like, oh, well, this is everyone's thinking like this. So when that thing first happened with us, that's why we got emotional because we were having that kind of what was implanted in our, in our minds, that old school mindset. And then Rudy was a late, uh, you know, luckily for, uh, for us, he was able to kind of open it up to where guys, 
This is actually what you want. You want people to utilize this platform to see you guys and not look at it as people are, are, are not appreciating your style, are trying to copy your style. You know, um, you know what, what's a cop? Um, imitation is the, 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 the biggest form of flattery. So from that point, we knew that all of our material and, um, you know, not all, but the majority can be posted online because it's only going to benefit us. And as an artistic director myself, the one thing I will say is I'm not scared about putting any of my material online because that forces me and pushes me to continue growing creatively. And I feel like sometimes people said, don't put this pattern online because I want to use this pattern next week and the next week and the next week and the next week. For me, I'm like, let me put all my patterns online because I want to force myself to create and create and create and create. And luckily it's helped me out. Yeah, I think it's something that any creator of any kind can relate to is is a fear of putting something out there and somebody else taking it or co-opting it. But I mean, you have to... I, I think of it as like creative destruction in a way, like that, I, the the comedian Louis C.K., you know, he he puts together an hour, he does the hour, and then that's it. He retires, starts over again, right. you know. So once you get the stuff out there, then you can, uh, and, and as you said, it, it you, you, you learned that it was helping you. Was How did that that switch flip? Because it seems like it's, it's hard to change people's minds about that if once they have it set in their mind that it's going to hurt them. I mean, you got, I, I think for us, it was just a matter of, of, of showing them that it worked, Show, showing them that, um, showing them the power of, of social media. And that's what really helped us out. You know, we have to, you know, we, our company initiated as, as kind of like social media babies. Like we, we became, um, kind of an external, an external source of what people enjoyed seeing. So they saw this couple and they were, you know, thousands of miles away. And the one way I could touch in, uh, you know, I could tie into them was through social media. So, um, we just started to really kind of understand that everything that we were able, everything that we were grasping through social media was exactly what we wanted. We wanted to gain fan bases from all over the world. We wanted people to appreciate our style. We wanted people to do our style. Um, and what other way to do that than to throw stuff online, you know, and that's where we started doing, um, a lot of promotional videos, we would throw free patterns online, but that's where the business component comes in. That's where the business strategies come in. And, you know, sitting down with Rudy Lopez, who's again, you know, he's our, our marketing director. So he kind of envisioned, this is what they want. we got to give them this, do this, do that. And, you know, that's how the company, um, has been able to create nice, um, uh, I guess you could say kind of successful components year in after year. We're going to take a quick break. Almost 15 years ago, Mike McDermott had had it. He was sick of trying to make invoices with Microsoft Word. So he moved into his parents' basement, and he started building FreshBooks. Today, FreshBooks not only makes beautiful invoices in seconds, but it can serve as your mission control for everything about getting paid in your business. It's been completely redesigned from the ground up. So if you haven't checked it out lately, you've got to see the new FreshBooks. Besides beautiful new invoice templates, FreshBooks has time tracking. It will also automatically pull in your bank account data and categorize your expenses. It will suggest to you the quick wins to keep your business moving smoothly. FreshBooks will even remind your clients to pay you so you can skip the awkward conversations and concentrate on your craft. If you're a freelancer or small business owner, you've got to check out FreshBooks. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash loveyourwork and enter love your work in the how did you hear about us section. Great. I'd love to hear about your creative process for choreography. How does that start? Um, well, I guess it all starts with the music for me. Um, since I'm, you know, the artistic director, myself and Tanya are the ones that, 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 uh, that do all the choreographies for the company. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of like, a my brain's just all over the place. Sometimes just some things that I come up with Tanya's like, what is that? But she understands that I'm just trying to get, you know, I'm trying to become very, I, you know, I just try to be over creative, but really for me, it's the music's number one, you know, the, the music's number one that has to inspire me. So I have to find, find a song that inspires me creatively, that motivates me, um, and once I have that, then I dissect it. Um, 
you know, our company and myself personally, I'm just, I'm very heavy into music or I'm sorry, to the instruments. Um, I'm all about musicality. I love musicality. I want to portray the love song by being able to connect deeply to the music. And to me, what better way to connect to that song, to the, to the instruments that are playing everything that make you feel it. So that's why I love the different instruments. So the first thing I dissect the instruments, what are the different rhythms, what are the different variations, and how am I able to, um, to kind of uh, portray those sounds with our bodies. And that's where the creative process starts with when it comes to together as far as, um, okay, what are Atacalan Hermana's different components of, dance, of, of our style? We have footwork, we have partner work, turn patterns. So I utilize those three components to say, this section here would be great for footwork, this section over here for partner work, this section over here for um, nice connection. And then we just jump into the lab and we're together. And do you or did you at any point uh, use, like, write anything down such as, oh, okay, here's this measure and that measure? Sure. Yeah, in the beginning, we definitely did that. I remember us sitting on the plane, like to the next event, and really listening to the music. I know I did it for any of the choreographies that I did, but I remember George did it too. We had a notebook, and I think we still have those notebooks where we would count out how many A counts are in that chorus, are in the verse, are in the bridge, and then figuring out, okay, where's the hit on which count? And it looked really funny. And I remember I did this one time on the airplane, and there was a guy sitting next to me. And when I took my headphones off, he's like, uh, he asked me if I was a what was it? Uh, a physicist. I'm like, no, no, I'm not. He's like, oh, it just, you have a lot of zeros and uh, ones and all this other stuff and these symbols. He's like, I thought you were a physicist or something like that. I'm like, no, no, thank you for the compliment. <laughs> but no, but yeah, it, we used to write them down. But we are. Technically, we're dance <laughs> physicists. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I mean, really, you know, yes, she's right. We definitely did that at a beginning because we knew that to, to become this, you know, because I, um, we know dancers that have been doing this for so, so long and their creative process is instant to where um, there are some people that, you know, we saw them choreograph shows in front of us and they finish up a two minute, three, um, three minute show in 45 minutes. So we were like, but that takes practice. So we knew that we had to start from somewhere. A lot of um, instructors that we that, that we respected heavily initially, um, they told us that's what they did when they started. And then they got to a point where. They didn't need the book anymore. It just happened naturally. So we started with the book, started writing things down, started breaking things down. And luckily we've gotten to the point now where we could just throw a song on and just look at each other and say, put this, put this, put this, and we're good to go. Yeah, I think this is true of any any creative endeavor. If you want to really take things to the next level, you, you, you can't just look at the way the experts are doing it now because they've had so much practice. You have to actually take some slow, del- really deliberate practice to program that all in your brain. And then over time, you get better and better at that. So th- this this writing down thing, it sounds like maybe you got that idea from uh, another dancer or, or was that just you were hitting a creative block and, and you decided I mean, I to just, move in that direction? I've seen some other dancers kind of do that as well. Um, and I've, you know, I, I'm, I'm one to... to I'm not afraid to ask for advice. And I, I there were uh, dancers that I respected and I just always asked them. I'm like, so how did you do that? How, you know, what's it? Give me some feedback. How do you start a choreography? How do you start this? How do you start that? And a lot of them pretty much said the same thing. A lot of them initially wrote things down, you know, to remember. That's how that was their way of, of remembering certain things. Um, obviously, videotaping certain stuff. But really, before you even get into videotaping, you have to, one, start with your ears. So you put, you know, you have everyone earphones, listen to the song, and then they're jotting down. What do I want to do from one second to 35 seconds? What do I want to do from 35 to two minutes? So a lot of, there was a lot of jotting down, and it seems a lot of dancers technically have these booklets from the past. A, a lot of people, if you would ask them, they probably would say they have them. And do they, they still have them? I don't know. And maybe in that they're writing down, okay, well, on this song, the bass is on these beats, and they're, they're writing almost like a time signature there. Right. And yeah, I mean, everybody has their own system or their own way of doing it. Um, but yeah, I think the the jotting down definitely happened for everybody in the beginning. For sure. I feel like for all, for all the choreographers that have been around for a long time that are good choreographers. And is that how you choreograph takes Tranio? No, actually, the way that we did that, we just kind of the thing is, is what happened with Extraño. Um, we had two weeks to choreograph it. My, my friend got us a gig 
to perform it within two weeks. And we were like, holy shit, this is really, really fast. It's coming up fast. We listened to the song. We knew the song because it was always being played in the nightclubs. Um, but we just kind of just went at it. We didn't write anything. We, we were like, let's just try to figure this out. We, we pretty just- much took everything. We pretty much said, look, let's keep this routine simple and all about connection, which is basically the reason why that routine was as popular as it was, was because we were fortunate to start off with everything that they wanted, which was simplicity, connection, and musicality. And those three things right there were exactly what we were like, we could, all right, let's just go through it. Let's do a nice little simple turn pattern here. All right, look at me here. Do a nice little body roll. That's going to be really sexy. All right, let's break away, do some footwork here. So we choreographed that routine in like six hours. So we, that was, we just, and that was was our first routine. But again, because we took a very relaxed approach. We're like, we are salsa dancers. We got, we have some turn patterns. We could put these turn patterns, make them smoother to fill bachata because we've seen some people are fusing their salsa to bachata. So cool. We have turn patterns. Um, You know, obviously there was, there was very, there was already an attractive, um, we were already attracted to each other. So the connection was there. Um, organically, so we didn't really we didn't have to force that. And then the footwork, we loved footwork, so we were able to throw footwork on into different beats. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Six hours later, we had we had Destanio. Now, a, qu- a quick aside, I guess on the on the attraction part is that I think that for a lot of people who aren't that familiar with dance, they assume that if two people are dancing together as a couple, that they're like a, a couple in life too. But it, you know, in professional dancing, it's not necessarily that way, right? Right, exactly. No, I don't, nobody, as, as far as if you see a couple dancing, doesn't necessarily mean that they're sleeping together, that they're together. I mean, we've seen plenty of wives that are at this event and their husbands are at home or the opposite, and they're having a good time. Dancing is just about having a good time, having a connection, a personal connection for three minutes with a person that you probably never met, probably never see again, but you both are enjoying the same thing and where you're allowing somebody into your personal space when on a daily basis, you wouldn't allow somebody to get into your face as close as you do when you're dancing. So it allows you to kind of break down that wall for just that moment and to express yourself musically and emotionally on a dance floor with another person. But that doesn't necessarily mean that those two people are together. Do a lot of the times they end up together at times? Yes. There's, there's plenty of relationships that have happened at dance events or different locations, but um, it doesn't require you to be together. Well, and you yeah. also often get the advice, like, don't date anybody that you meet dancing right. because you're going to go back to that place. But That's true. Yeah, well, you that definitely. But you were professional partners. You became uh, life partners as well, right? Well, so that, that was actually the advice that people gave us when we first started dancing together. From the beginning, they said, don't date each other. That's not going to work. Um, very, very, it's never going to work. There are very little couples in the world that have, um, you know, dated and lasted, which we knew that was true. There was actually a very small percentage of couples that actually lasted to, um, marriage and marriage or whatever. So we, we decided just, we said, all right, well, we like each other. We're going to date each other. We're just not going to make it official. And we're definitely not going to tell anybody. Um, but you know, six months later, we were like, you know what? We said, fuck it. You know, that's exactly what we said. We were like, you know what? Beat beat the odds, beat the stereotypes. We can beat it. And we just believed that we could be that couple that, that could beat the odds. And, you know, eight years later, we're still together. It's been it's been a um um a battle. You know, I don't there's very little people in the world that can say that they live with their significant other and have and I have been with them since day one for twenty-four hours a day. 365 days a year for eight years. Yeah. That's it's a long time. It's a long time. <laughs> so we, when we first started dating, we basically moved in together and it's literally been every single day we've been together. We travel together. We do everything together. We juggle business and personal. So it's been, um, it's been a, a battle, but you know, luckily we've made it and eight years later. Here we are. I've got to think that there's something inherent to your personalities that, that, make you able to do that and able to kind of find yourselves in this, this perfect situation. There, there definitely is. I mean, it definitely takes a special kind of person. I will say for George, um, he's a very persistent person. Um, he's not a quitter at all. I mean, the times that we did have fights and I, I'm the type of person that kind of just shuts down. I hate confrontation and I just, you know, walk out of a room or whatever. 
And he was very much like, no, don't leave. We got to talk about these. He's very much about communication. And I was very much about shutting down. So that's something that I learned throughout the process of our relationship. But I will say that if it wasn't for his persistence and um, him wanting to communicate, probably our relationship probably wouldn't have lasted. But I will give him the credit that he was making sure like, no, we have to we have to figure this out. Even if we're not together at the end, we still got to figure this out and, you know, end on a good note. So it definitely takes a certain type of person. I ain't no quitter. <laughs> well, with that that persistence, it makes me wonder if there's a parallel in in the creative process where, you know, from for me as somebody who looks around YouTube looking for some dance moves to steal. Thank you. Thank you both very much. Um, <laughs> Barbara, there's just nobody. There's just nobody that, that stacks up uh, to me. And but I, I feel like you you take things to a whole other level that people don't take it to and when when you look closely it's like okay the the moves that you're doing are there's there's nothing like super complicated about them but the the, the technique is very okay. tight and I, I think that it takes a lot of persistence and attention to detail to to take things to a whole other level creatively that way do you think there's anything going on personality wise that that makes that possible for you I'm a, I'm a little OCD um, perfectionist. and I'm, a, I'm I'm very much a perfectionist um, those that that's just something that's always been a, um, a part of me um, you know my OCD is not super extreme but it's a little extreme as far as I mean just as simple as how I pack my luggage uh, my luggage is packed the same exact way every single weekend it's Wait. just it's I want to know about this. Tell me about how you pack your luggage. Um, I mean, honestly, if I could take a picture, I would. It's just each of my luggages have to have the same compartments as far as like the way it's the, the way that the main thing is, because I know that in this section here are my suits. In this section here, my shirts. I have two sections for two pants. I got all my underwear and my uh, my hygiene stuff. So that's literally the same. It's the same Every, every single weekend. And is there to a logical, me, strategic uh, reasoning behind the, the way that it's That's headaches arranged? for me. It's a less, it's, I, if I know how it goes, every single time I go into my packing, I know where, go, what every, where everything goes. And now I don't have to like, because it is what it's, packing every weekend is such a stress and such a pain. So for me, I built basically all my compartments and I know where everything goes. So now it's just a matter of putting them in. That's it. Wait, you built compartments? And, Huh? You build so no, I, don't, I don't build them per se. I just know that in he this. He has a layout. It's like a, it's, it's my layout. He's created a template, basic, not physical template, but in his mind, it's in there. And now he knows exactly where everything goes in his uh, luggage every single time. Like I can't pack his luggage. I try to offer at the end of like a trip or before, and because I see how stressed he is, I'm like, can I just try to pack it? And he's like, well, uh, you don't know. Well, and, we've got to. And I've tried, and he's got, like, you're not doing it right. We've got so to the point it. now that she can definitely not pack my luggage going to an event. But once we're at an event, she could totally pack my yeah, luggage on I the just, way back. I just toss it back into the luggage. I don't even fold stuff anymore. And They're I'm dirty. okay with that. I'm okay <laughs> with that. But I, I think going back, I feel like that's definitely um, the, some of the reasons why, um, you know, again, I played baseball since I was six years old. Um, everything was always talking about details and, you know, everything from taking ground balls and even just a simple, the way your, your wrist is, if it's up here, if it's down here, like just so many little details that are so important in the world. And, you know, obviously my dad's, my dad's a little bit of a perfectionist as well. He's a clean, my mom is as well. So I think also too, because my parents are both kind of like that. Um, that's kind of how I've been. And, I carry that into my dancing and in, in how I teach, how I communicate, how it's very important to have a process and, uh, and a layout. Really, I think it, I talk to people all the time about social dancing. Guys always talk to me and they're like, George, but I go into social dance world and I'm just, I freeze. I forget everything. And I tell them all the time, it's like, because you have to go into each social dance with a layout. You have to know what your layout is for tonight. So tonight, your layout is Pattern one that you learned last week and pattern two that you learned yesterday. So just do pattern one and pattern two with every single girl that you dance with all tonight and then let the rest of the song just kind of flow into whatever naturally kind of organically transpires. And then tomorrow, do pattern two and pattern seven. But you just have to always, you know, prepare yourself. 
I, I think a lot about uh, about mental energy, and I think that this this idea of having a, a way that you pack is a way to uh, sort of reduce cognitive overhead the same way that Steve Jobs wore the same shirt every day or Barack Obama wore the same suit all the time. And I, I, I noticed that in, in your teaching, too, having taken classes with you and having taken classes with plenty of other teachers who were like, OK, you do this. All right. Next thing. And then you, you're, you're sort of piling and stuff on and not be able to get it. You really break it down and we're, we're going to do this little part until I at least have it have gotten a chance to put it in my muscle memory and then we're mo- then we're building upon it. Sure. So is that something that you think about when you're teaching? How do you think about like, teaching both of you? The biggest thing I remember, um, I took a, a teaching course a few, like a long time ago, maybe 12 years ago. Um, and the instructor said, you have to teach a class as if everybody was blind. And that's something that I told George and Rudy. I said, you know what, this is a really good point because if we're in a class and nobody can, if the people in the back can't see you, how are they able to learn if you're not breaking things down, if you're not detailed enough, instead of just saying step here, step here, you have to say step with your left foot to your left, and then you're going to cross with your right foot. That it helps visualize certain things. So it's it was very important for us to be detailed. Um, and to now we teach classes as if people couldn't see us or if they were blind. So there's really no excuse for somebody not to understand the material completely. Um, but then also remembering us as beginners, if we were in a class and we still take classes, you know, with, with other instructors or even different styles of dance, I found myself in the back of a class and the instructor's teaching and I don't know what they're doing because they're not being detailed. It's just a constant reminder that's like, okay, I as an instructor need to make sure that I'm detailed enough because I don't want the student, who's me right now, being in the back, being frustrated because they can't see. So that's definitely something that we still keep in mind is putting us into that beginner's shoes and figuring out what would be the easiest and simplest way for them to understand um, to where they can still walk away out of that class with some knowledge. Yeah, you, I think our main thing right now is our approach to all our classes uh, is pretty is pretty standard now where it's not, a, it's not about us. Uh, and I know I think before uh, in the past, you know, it seems as if instructors have kind of gone into these classes where that class is for them. That class is for them to be able to repeat and create to better themselves, but they forget about the people behind them. So we always now, it's just, it's not about me and Tanya. It's about the people behind us. And are they going to leave this class happy or, uh, or a uh, content, happy, fulfilled, or, you know, slightly just unhappy and, and not getting any of that. And that's really, really important for us. You know, I do know that some instructors and in some of the way they, they teach their classes, it seems as if they don't really care if the people behind them have a good time. It's like, I'm getting paid to do this, so I'm okay. Like, it's really, really important for us to make sure that at least 80 to 90% of the people walk away happy from every one of our classes. And if they're not, then I, I need to get better and I need to now get that percentage a lot higher. It's re- I know I'm not going to get 100% people um, happy, but it's always important to build every single type of component to get the most out of everybody in the class. I think it's really easy when you're an expert at something like Tanya was saying to kind of, or as Tanya was alluding to, to sort of forget what it's like to be a beginner or forget what it's like to not know the thing that you know. And a big part of teaching is being able to peel back all those layers so that people are getting an auditory uh, reference and a visual reference and all those those different things. But you also have, as an instructor, you've got to carve that neural pathway of being able to say, oh, my right foot's right here. And actually, you know, say that. It's it's like (laughs) complex. Yeah, it's definitely complex for the instructor as well. If they're not used to it, it's so easy, like you said, to just get caught up and just being like, okay, we're going to do this pattern here. And it should be simple enough. I mean, we found ourselves in classes where we have basic steps, and to us, they're basic because we've been doing it for so long. And for all of our students who have learned from us, they're basic. But if we go to a different country that have only seen us through YouTube and they really haven't taken classes from us, when we teach them a basic step, we're like, oh, my gosh, that's right. They've never learned this step before. So it's not going to be basic. So now we start teaching it kind of quickly. And then we look back and we're like, oh, yeah, they're not getting it. They might so know the movement, to- but not the technique. Exactly. So like the weight change, there's a lot of different things involved in it. So it, it helps us. Um, we sometimes find ourselves in that spot, even when we're teaching our quote unquote basic steps to other people who don't know it, we think it's basic, it's not basic. So then we have to readjust and then we go back and that's when we start repeating steps and we make sure that people understand it. We try not to move on 
too quickly before people get it. I think also too, for me, preparation for everyone, every um, preparation to, uh, for our classes is extremely important. Um, I get anxiety if I ever feel like I'm not, I'm not prepared for a class. Like to me, I'd, I'd prepare a day before at least a few hours. I like perform. I don't like preparing like a day before. I like preparing the day of, but at least an hour or two hours prior. So it's fresh because I don't want to forget it. But this whole kind of walking into a class, just going to wing it. I get anxiety. Like to me, I would freak out. So because I know that's my issue, I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. I, we need to get together before. And the way I, the way I, I, I um, prepare my classes is I always have an option one and an option two. So like Tanya expressed, if I go in there where they say it's an advanced class, I always go in there with an intermediate um, backup in case our level or our definition of advanced for this group was a little too high level. So to me, that makes, allows me to walk in refreshed, confident, not, I'm not stressed. I know my tone's going to be relaxed. And now I feel like I'm going to enjoy the class more and I feel they're going to enjoy it more. Wow. Okay. So this has been a great conversation with you hearing the story about how you have been able to build this great dance empire, talking about creative process, talking about some travel preparation hacks, talking about teaching. <laughs> uh, do you have a final message for people out there who would love to, in whatever endeavor they're, they're in, create a, a, a life and career like you have? Um, I think just the stay persistent, um, don't give up, even if people tell you that you can't do it or it's not feasible, um, whatever is in your mind that you want to accomplish, you can totally accomplish it as long as you keep pushing, um, work hard, practice, um, the, the 10,000 hour rule, we followed that, we've read outliers, um, read as many books as you can, find a mentor, talk to people, um, that, can add positivity in your life and that help also motivate you and push you because you will find yourself some days that where you don't want to continue. And those are the people that you're going to need in order to help push you um, that extra mile. Yeah. You just, you got one life to live, you know, make the best of it, um, make it your own. And, and, and like Tanya said, for us, it's, it's, I know it's very cliche because everyone always says it, that um, anything you put your mind to, you can achieve, you can achieve. And it's so, so true. It really is. Um, there's nothing that is not attainable in this world. Um, it just takes a lot of work hard and, um, you know, the right, uh, taking the right steps in the right and, and going in the right path. Um, we've been fortunate to be, to, to have been together, the three of us together and motivate each other and, um, through all of our ups and downs and surrounding, surrounding yourself, surrounding yourself by positive people, um, equals success. So for us, we stay positive. We surround ourselves with positive people, our families. We give back. And as long as we go to bed every day happy and content with what we do, we wake up the same way in the morning. And I, I think that there's going to be uh, many new fans of you after this conversation. Where can, uh, first of all, they should all go take some bachata lessons somewhere. But yeah. where can they get more of, of the both of you? So we, uh, so we currently now live in Los Angeles. Um, we just moved out here a couple, uh, a couple months ago. Um, so that's where we're currently, currently, we currently reside. We don't teach group classes here because our traveling schedule is still pretty hectic, but we are doing some local, um, socials and, and workshops here and there. But the main thing, um, the most important thing right now is our website, www.islandtouchdance.com. That's where you can find everything from our merchandise, where we're at, what different things we're doing. Um, next thing is for our events because we organize five badass festivals in the USA that you can come check us out. It's islandtouchevents.com. Um, so check that one out. And obviously, as you uh, mentioned, our new online dance portal, which is www.danceegg.com. Those are the main three websites. And then obviously, very, very important to us, our social media. Myself and Tanya have our three Instagram pages. Tanya's is La Alemana underscore official. Uh, mine is Ataka underscore official. And then we have a joint page that is Ataka y La Alemana official. All one word. And then lastly, our um, Island Touch Dance Academy Facebook page, same thing there, all the information. Um, like I said, we're very heavy into our social media. We're very, very much connected to our fans there. And then obviously YouTube, Island Touch channel is our YouTube channel. 
Great. I love how that was explained so clearly as if I was in a bachata class with you. <laughs> Detail oriented. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank it's been you. fantastic. Thank I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jorge and Tanya. Otherwise known as Ataka y la Alemana, you may have heard me mention Cards Against Humanity during the interview. Like Jorge and Tanya, the Cards Against Humanity creators were ready to act when they got their big break. So learn more about how a group of self-described nerds turned a game they made up for fun into a multi-million dollar cultural sensation. Listen to Max Tempkin of Cards Against Humanity on episode 45 of Love Your Work. And if you appreciate all the work that goes into making this show, there are a couple of ways you can help support it. One is to subscribe, 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 subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just hit the subscribe button. Another is to rate the show on iTunes. Just go to cadavy.net slash iTunes and click on write a review and click on the star rating. You don't even have to write a review. It just takes a couple of seconds. And do you like books? If you do, I'd love to send you my book recommendations. About 90% of them will be nonfiction on subjects spanning from biographies to neuroscience. Just go to cadavy.net slash reading, sign up, and you'll get my first set of recommendations right away. You'll be supporting the show if you buy any of those books through the links in the email. This has been Love Your Work, and I'm David Cadavy. The theme music for the show is More Streets, performed by Spider Flower. Love Your Work is a production of Cadavy, Inc.